Welcome to the Healthcare Plus podcast, hosted by Quint Studer and Dan Collard. In each high-impact segment, Quint and Dan bring together leaders and changemakers from across healthcare to discuss the latest industry insights, offer solutions to some of healthcare's greatest challenges, and provide replenishment and well-being tools that will refill your emotional bank account. With a focus on practical tools, techniques, and best practices, you'll walk away from each episode with ideas you can implement in your own role, organization, and community. I'm Nicole Webb-Bodie, partner at Healthcare Plus Solutions Group. Quint Studer and Dan Collard, your hosts, co-founded Healthcare Plus Solutions Group with the mission of having a positive impact on those that receive care and those that provide care. HPSG specializes in delivering customized solutions that build and develop skills to help healthcare organizations achieve and sustain high performance. Quint is a well-known author, operator, coach, and mentor to many. He has dedicated his life to creating tools and techniques that make healthcare a better place for physicians to practice medicine, patients to receive care, and employees to work. Dan is a seasoned executive with a passion for improving healthcare and leading organizations through change. From rural hospitals to complex health systems and academic medical centers, Dan has helped organizations across the industry attain best-in-class performance. For more information about your host and our upcoming events, visit healthcareplussg.com. And now, please welcome today's guest. Well, Carlton, um, why don't you, for those of you, I know you so well. I know you, I know your wife, I know your family, the whole bit. And I've known you since you were president of the West Florida Hospital. You were in the early movers in this early brain stuff. Why don't you tell people a little bit more about your career in healthcare? Well, thank you, Quinn. Excited to be able to spend some time with you and share what we're doing collectively with early brain development. As Quinn mentioned, Carlton Ulmer, a former healthcare executive, spent about 26 years in healthcare, six years on the private practice side in Georgia, and then just over 20 years as a hospital administrator to include president and CEO and other executive positions in seven hospitals across five states. And the last two years uh, I've spent here in Pensacola just fascinated and passionate about what we're doing with early brain development and having been one of the early adopters I think went back in 2017 when I was at HCA West Florida. It's it's intrigued me what we can do. And I think what's exciting about it is the the simplicity of it and our ability to really impact moms and dads as the first teacher of their newborn. So excited to get into this subject and topic with you and and uh, share it uh, with everyone out there. Yeah, and for those that, that wonder what happened is um, we started this in Escambia County, which I'm going to talk about. And then as people read my book, Building a Vibrant Community, other things, other communities wanted to be involved in it. And it got to the point where I just couldn't do it. And I knew Carlton. Um, I sort of threw something out at him. Um, you know, if, if you want to do something and don't, don't want to make a lot of money, but you want to make a huge, huge difference, why don't you help me with this build a brain, build a life, build a community? For those of you that know me, when I say, why don't you help me? That means, why don't you do like 99% of it? And um, so we're really excited, Carlton, to have you so passionate about making this difference. And not only our community over the years, but communities across the United States. So thank you so much. And so I was excited years ago, I think, Quint, maybe around 2017, uh, to receive that call from you uh, about early brain development and some of uh, the research that you were working on and your vision for Pensacola as being an early learning city. And so maybe, Quint, if you don't mind, 
maybe share with us how you how you first began down this pathway of early brain development. Well, thank you. You know, my heart's always been in education. I have a bachelor's and master's in education. I spent 10 years in the classroom with special needs um, people, special needs children, uh, actually all the way up to young adults, up to 21. My job was to help job training, job placement, and so on. And of course, it hasn't changed. The goal was to help every person optimize their human potential. And so it's always been in my heart. But again, I got into healthcare, and that's why training, development, education has always been something that I've enjoyed. And so with over the years, as I sat in Pensacola, um, you know, I traveled all the time. And I would travel, and I got a call in 2005 from Jim Clifton at Gallup that said, hey, some of your stuff seems to be working. We'd like to learn more. And as I was with them, he shared with me um, things that they were doing in economic development on why some communities thrive and some don't. So that was an early adapter to this, but not the brain development. This was more or less about support new businesses, help new business start and create a cool downtown for young people to stop the out-migration, specifically in small mid-market cities. Well, if you know me, I I love to measure results. You know, I think that's what every James Collins and everyone else says. You've got to look at the facts. Some are great. Some are not so great. So in 2008, I actually created through my, I created a not-for-profit 501c3 called Student Community Institute, which is independent of me, but I funded it certainly for many years. And we created a dashboard. And we really didn't know where we were going with the dashboard, Carlton. I mean, we didn't have any preconceived notion. We just worked with the University of West Florida Haas Center. So when you look at quality of life, what are some metrics that we should look at? We also worked with Mason Dixon, who measures quality of life. What are some metrics we should look at? And, and you know, there are metrics like new housing development, median in, um, population, these things. And of course, the typical education ones are high school graduation rate, third grade reading, fourth grade math. And there was this thing called kindergarten readiness. I had never, ever, if you would have asked me before this, what's the challenge? I would say, oh, the public school system, the public school system. And like most people say in America, the public school system per se. And I noticed that our kindergarten readiness was really low. And we're lucky to be in a state that measures kindergarten readiness consistently so we can sort of compare as apple to apples. And so Shannon Nickinson, who worked for the Institute, I said, you know, this was now in the probably 2015-16 arena somewhere in there as we're starting to look at this and get going in it. It was about the time that I had more time on my hands. And um, I said, can you see if there's any correlation between kindergarten readiness, third grade reading, fourth grade math, and high school graduation. And of course, you probably know more about this now than even I do with your research. She, she ended up at the University of Chicago with a doctor called Dana Suskin, who's a cochlear implant surgeon, who did some work studying, I think the, you talk about this in a bit, some of the early work out of Kansas and how many words a child hears in neurons. And for people that don't know me well. When I get into wanting to learn something, I go down a deep rabbit hole. And um, so I wanted to learn. So I called Dana Suskin up and we paid her to come to Pensacola and teach us. And she came into town and I brought some community people around her room 
And she started sharing the medical scientific data on how the brain is developed. And it's the word goes in, it hits a neuron, that hits a neuron, and I'll turn it over to you pretty soon. And you can talk about some of the material that you've got available that we have now, videos on this medically. And as we sat there, it was just mind-boggling that if 80 to 85% of the learning capacity is built by the age three, all of a sudden, maybe it's not kindergarten, maybe it's not third grade, maybe it's not even VPK, voluntary pre-kindergarten. These are all vital, all important. But man, we're handing over a child if they're not ready. It's going to be really hard to catch them up. And there's some documentation that shows if a child is so far behind when they get to kindergarten, truly it's almost impossible to catch catch them up. So as we were talking to Dr. Suskin, she mentioned that one of the things they were doing early on in the south side of Chicago, the Hyde Park type area, was trying to get to these moms when the baby was young, because the sooner they can get to the mom, the sooner they can start building the brain. They're always building the brain, but building, maximizing building the brain. And, but it was a challenge. Um, sometimes um, in the low-income areas, there was a lack of trust. Um, people would move around a bit. And she said it was it's just the big challenge was getting to these moms. Now, once I got to a mom, she said it was wonderful. Once it clicked on what the mom could do, once they saw a video, the, the mom or dad, but usually mom, was very appreciative, and they got it. But the question is, if every day, if the first three years, every day, we lose is a day we'll never catch up. So I just said, what if we got the mom before she left the hospital? And Dana said, wow, could you help make that happen? And I said, I, I think so. I, I know all three CEOs in, in town. I mean, Susan Davis was at Ascension, Mark Faulkner at Baptist, you at West Florida. And you're all really decent, wonderful human beings who want what's best for the community. And so we sat down with the hospitals and we created this early brain program, which a, a mom sees a video that explains the whole process. Um, and then they, um, we, we don't have to, but then we gave them a resource kit that they come home and we did two studies. One study was the resource kit and the video as a package. But University <clears throat> of Chicago is into research and they said, for 1,200 or moms or so, don't give them anything but show them the video. Just show them the video. Because we don't know if any other community will be able to provide them resource kits and those things. And we did. And then we became, three years later, part of a peer-reviewed document that they put out that shows this actually is working. Particularly, again, with certain lower-income moms have the biggest gains because they have the most to come from. And so we've been doing this now for a number of years. And um, as I go around the country and wrote this book called Building a Vibrant Community, John List, the economist at the University of Chicago, wrote the foreword. And he basically stated the long-term financial sustainability of a city can be measured by are the children ready for kindergarten? And that's a strong statement. And so I find when I go around the country, they all want to talk about education. But I talk about it really starts in the hospital and the hospitals sort of get it. So that's that's a long, long story on how it happens. But I think it's really um, that's how I got involved. 
got involved in the process. I think due to the pandemic, it's even more vital now than ever before that we get it. Now, we still want to do with moms and every mom, and we can't say, well, your kid's out of the hospital. So there's always catch up in a community because when parents hear about it, they want to know, well, what's going on? I didn't get that in the hospital. I never heard that. So anyway, Carlton, that's that's sort of it. Yeah, you know, it's amazing to me, Quint, uh, where we are today, and I know we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about current state and future state of what we're doing with build a brain, build a life, build a community. But, you know, the clinical research you referenced, you know, going back to 1995, you know, when I think about the 30 million word gap uh, back in 1995, I'm, I'm what, seven years out of high school at that point, you know, <laughs> And you look at what the University of Kansas uh, researchers, Betty Hart and Todd Risley's project, you know, they followed 42 families in three income levels uh, for three years. And again, this was back in 1995, and they published their findings. And, you know, the key results of that were children from all three groups of families started to speak around the same time and developed good structure and use of language. But children in a professional families heard more words per hour, resulting in larger cumulative vocabularies. And so in professional families, children heard on average of 2,153 words per hour compared to the working class of 1,251, so about almost half, uh, 50% less, uh, compared to you know welfare recipient families around 616 words. So there was Definitely a discrepancy um, uh, in the words being utilized in those homes. And by age four, a child from a welfare recipient family could have heard 32 million words fewer than classmates from a professional family. And so I love seeing the research, whether it's coming out of University of Chicago and the work that uh, you and Dana Suskin did over that two-year period, just showing the video. And there's continued great research. But this is one where... You know, Quinn, as I began, you and I talking to hospitals and communities, we seem to get fixated on kindergarten readiness scores and graduation rates. And I love, I love your thought around, yeah, but isn't this something we should be doing anyway, right? Are, are we really? Now, now, the great thing is we have research, right? We have peer review clinical research, but this is, this is something we should be doing. So what, kind of what are your thoughts around that? I think anytime you're always going to find people that are going to ask those questions, which are healthy. And I think the question we get sometimes, we get a whole bunch of questions as we went through this, but one of them was, well, gee, you're talking about the more words a child hears. And the whole question is talk with, talk to, and that's the video shows that we're constantly in communication. And the more words a child hears, not on video, not on TV, but human conversation, that neuron hits a neuron and builds a brain. And Dana will say, brains are built. We're born with a brain, but then brains are, are built. I've seen moms cry when they've watched the video because they realize, gee, I wish I'd have been doing this with my older children. So I got a call just not too long ago from a community and said, you know, Quinn, we're talking about this early brain stuff. And um, is there any research that backs it up? And I sort of had fun with the person. I know him. I said, well, let's let's just say this. If I don't have research, doesn't it make sense just to talk a lot to a child and put down the iPhone because kids are hearing less words and explain things? Does it make sense even if there isn't any research? And when I got done, the person said, how can you not do those things? And I said, but here is even better news. There is research. 
and the research at, and I gave them, you know, connections to you and others at the build a brain, build a life, build a community. And, um, and um, it's there. But the beauty is that certain things you do anyway. I, I'm not sure that a child saying please and thank you, I can show research that it impacts something, but it's just the right thing to do. But here's the beauty is it's the right thing to do. And there's more and more research all the time about the value of what we're talking about. And the other people who really like this are the teachers. You know, when we think about teachers, it's a rough job. And they get sort of criticized quite a bit if the child's behind. In our school, te- our teachers, when we implement this in Escambia County, Florida, I think the biggest fans were the teachers that said, thank you. Thank you. Because if you look at, again, Florida, if you go down the panhandle here, Escambia County is the poorest county. Then you get um, Fort Walton County, and then you go to Walton County. And if you look at that, the children in some of these counties perform better than Escambia County. Now, I don't think it's because the teachers are better. I think it's because the child are entering kindergarten more prepared. So this is what's beautiful about this. It sort of creates an even playing field for a lot of these children. And you just got to build it, build it into the environment. And um, yeah, and I think, again, we have more and more data, more and more research. Um, you know, you and Stephanie, who's on the staff here of Build a Community, I thought um, some of the videos we have are just once you watch a video, you say, oh, my gosh. And it actually shows the brain first three years. Then it sort of slides down to how much learning capacity it has. And what are you, as you dug into this, Carlton, what's some been some of your ahas now that you've gotten closer to it? Well, Quint, one one of the things I love about early brain development is the simplicity of it. You know, we have the opportunity in hospitals to provide education through the video and a baby steps milestone book uh, to mom and dad who happen to be the first teachers of their their newborn and just the simplicity of educating mom and dad on the importance of brain development and the role they play and that words are food for your baby's brain and talking about you know one million neurons are, are connected every second for the first three years of that baby's life and you already referenced 80 85 percent of that baby's brain being built uh, over the first three years so this is you know these key milestones are, are so important You've gotten deeper into this and you've done so much work, I mean, on understanding the research, the knowledge base with your own children. Tell us some of, even though you thought, sometimes I think I know a topic and then as I get deeper into it, I said, whoa, I didn't know as much as I, I thought I knew or wanted to know. I want to talk about your own learning as you've gotten deeper into build a brain, build a life, build a community. Great. Thank you, Quinn. Yeah, with three kids, 25, 24, and 17, and a 17-year-old daughter that wants to become a teacher, uh, it's been exciting. And I think, you know, one of the misnomers we have is that uh, early brain development is aimed at a a certain population, but the reality is uh, every parent uh, is the teacher of their their newborn. So really, it, it, this is something that's for everyone. That was a a lesson for me and a lesson I continue to hear from professionals who see our video in hospitals uh, for the first time uh, because they learn things they didn't know. And what I love about it is the simplicity of the material, you know, learning that a million neurons are connected every second 
of that baby's life for the first three years. And that represents about 80, 85% of the brain development. And so just the importance of words or food uh, for your baby's brain and the more words a child hears in the first three years of life, the stronger the connections uh, in their brain and, and they'll be. So every time you talk to him or her, you know, making eye contact with them and responding to their cries uh, helps to wire their brain. And you referenced earlier just the image of a word going into a, a brain and the neurons and the synapse and, uh, you know, all of that is so fascinating and to just encourage parents to spend more time. The beauty of it is that there's so much research uh, behind this and has been uh, for over, you know, three decades now. Uh, but it's something that we should be doing. And we've got the, the greatest audience in the world working with hospitals and parents and uh, newborns that are being born in these hospitals. And so it's it's just been a pleasure to see the parents and the, and the witness the results of what we're hearing uh, outside of key metric indicators like kindergarten readiness, but just a parent saying, I didn't know that. And you don't know what you don't know. And so if we can have an impact on every newborn and every human life uh, across the U.S., that's, that's mission-driven for sure. I was interviewed and they said to me, Quint, if you had all the money in the world, what would you do with it? I said, I'd make sure every baby and every parent that leaves the hospital understands how to build a brain because that as john list has been quoted from the university of chicago this can change the world and what we're talking about and, and so for those of you listening i'll walk through a little bit more detail on this um, so so what happens is um when you think of it and, and carlton and i were in lafayette louisiana with both hospitals there and it was pretty neat because um we talked about quality of life in the community and then we met with the ho- the hospitals and it's fascinating because, you know, the person that brought us in was say, well, you know, they're real busy. I don't know if they're going to want to do this. But man, once they were all over and it wasn't like they were all over. It was almost like a ha ha. Because when you think of it, before a, a baby, a mom is discharged from a hospital, we all learn how to bathe the baby. We learn can they hear. We learn how. Um, circumcision or umbilical cords, breastfeeding. We get all this education from the neck down and maybe the ears with hearing. But shouldn't we educate on how to build a brain? We're educating on everything else. And the the doctors particularly grabbed it. I remember again in Lafayette, the um, neonatologist saying, this is wonderful. She said, when a baby is born and in the NICU, the parents are so knowing there's going to be possibly developmental delays. And when they can sit there and watch videos and read our material and how they can build their baby's brain, it really engages them. Found the same thing in Beloit, Wisconsin. Um, I was recently in Norman, Oklahoma, a great hospital there. And immediately the CEO stood up and said, we'll do, we're all in. We're all in. And because, first of all, it's very inexpensive. And what we did find, there were some things missing. Um, we had to create um, some material on how to develop and, you know, educate the nursing staff on how to do this and why it's so important. Because sometimes people think they do it. They'll say, oh, we, we already do something. We give them a book. And, you know, but we're teaching them how to read the book. It's sort of like, would you rather give somebody a fish or teach them how to fish? And they click real quick because nurses have great values. And when they see the impact of this, and it's, same thing. It's no different than saying how you bathe your baby. How do you build the brain? The other thing we found, there was a gap, though. 
we couldn't find any material that really focuses on building the brain. There's a lot of material on walking, crawling, sitting. And so we actually, with our not-for-profit institute, created a baby step book um, that a mom takes with them when they leave the hospital. Um, And I want you to talk about that, Carlton, but I do want to hit one other point. All moms benefit from this. Gracie Price works for the Institute. She had a little girl named Wiley, who's about four months old now. And she, of course, just assumed because she's so close to this, she doesn't work in the early brain part. She works in the entrepreneurial part that she was all over it. And Gracie, great mother, probably did more research on having a baby than most. She was all into it. So she watched the video with the thought is, I know this stuff. And we do a rating system where a mom evaluates how much they know about building the brain. Are you Before you watch the video, before you got the tutorial, how much did you know about building a baby's brain? And then we say before, because you didn't have to tell them before because they don't know how much. So afterwards, they go backwards and say, before I learned about this, I would rate myself a seven or an eight, six. Now I'm walking out. She said she came in as an eight. Now she looked at it. She was probably an eight, but she thought she was a 10. But after watching it, she realized how to be a 10. So I think that's pretty, pretty fascinating. Why don't you talk about the Baby Steps book? Yeah, thank you, Quint. What I love about the uh, Baby Steps book, which is a developmental guide for the first three years of life uh, for the infant, and it helps parents track milestones in language and thinking skills that their child ought to be meeting and offers lots of tips and advice how to build uh, more talk and more interactions into everything every day. And with this, uh, we work with the mom and and dad or the parent uh, with the Baby Steps book, which is a milestone book. And what I love about the way we've created the the milestone book with clinical research baked into it is that we provide mom and dad those milestones periodically. You know, here's, here's what you need to be looking for as a parent at two months old, at four months old. And, and not only what to look for, and I'll give an example. At four months old, for example, Quint, you know, uh, be looking for your, you know, as your baby moves, uh, their eyes and directions and sounds. And does your baby notice toys uh, that make sounds or music? And does your baby respond to changes in the sound and tone of your voice? And not only do we talk about what the, what mom and dad should be looking for in these key milestones, but we also talk about hey, mom and dad, what role do you play in building that skill? So, for example, on the four-month milestone, you know, name objects uh, that you see around you, sing songs and recite nursery rhymes, uh, imitate the sounds and gestures your baby makes. And I know sometimes that may feel a little awkward, you know, and, you know, your baby may be babbling, so should you be babbling back or talking to your to your baby? Uh, and the answer is yes, all the time. And I remember Quint, one of the things we talked about early on, uh, and I kind of giggled, was you said, you know, Carlton, we, we have these strollers, right? We put babies in strollers, and they're facing out uh, as we're walking them. And my thought is, Carlton, the, these strollers should be facing in. Like, why would we not leverage that opportunity uh, for mom and dad as you're pushing the stroller to be having a conversation uh, with your baby? And, and that really resonated on the simplicity of what we're talking about. Uh, when we're talking about the parents' role as the first teachers for their babies. So we've got this baby step book baked with great research. And, you know, I remember growing up uh, raising our kids, you know, two decades, two and a half decades ago, 
And I remember going in and out of the pediatrician's office and it's like, hey, Logan's at the 98th percentile of height, Carlton. He's at the, he's at the 90, 90th percentile of weight. Uh, y'all are doing a real good job. I don't remember any conversations around early brain development, Quint. And, and so with that in mind, I think we're equipping the first teachers of these newborns, which is the parents, with a milestone book, with the intent that they're going to actually utilize that book. That's a keepsake. They're, they're documenting in the book. They're looking at the milestones. And they should absolutely be working with their medical caregivers in the community, whether that's a pediatrician, whether that's a FQHC, and we have wonderful ones in North Florida, whether that's the Department of Health. But I think we're charging mom and dad with, hey, write down some notes. If you have a concern or question, we want you going back to your pediatrician and asking those questions. And this is where we begin to really create an integrated network with the medical community, not just in the hospital where we're planting that seed of early brain development, but now we're connecting mom and dad, utilizing a tool, our Baby Steps Milestone book, with the healthcare community. And that that gets really excited. And our pediatricians in Lafayette, when you and I were there, they jumped on it. They were really excited and said, hey, girl, we got this. There's, I think they said there's 67 of us in the community. Uh, we're excited to be a part of this. What we're finding is because of flexibility, what happens when a hospital adopts this, things start happening. So, for example, the pediatricians immediately say, we see all these kids. They come in for their checkups. And maybe they found out that the baby was born before the video was in place. So they'll put it into their waiting rooms to watch the video on how to build your brain. Right. They'll they'll catch up. We've seen some prenatal classes start to use this material even before the birth baby is, is born. Um, we find electronic health records because what pediatricians will say to me, we, we always we have these discussions, but I'm not sure they're consistent. I'm not sure everybody. We, we've seen the use of these books that people can hand out. And so we're really seeing it really become a way for a community hospital to really say, you know, we're committed to the overall quality of life for this community, not just when people need surgery, not just when they need lab work, not when they need hospitalization, but we're, we're committed to making sure that this works. And then the other thing we're finding, Carlton, and you're, when I say we, I mean you, me, and Stephanie, and Jessica and all these people that are heavily involved in this is um, then other people in the community want to get involved, like the federal qualified healthcare clinic says, can we have some of this material to give to our moms? It's the integrated approach. Um, the, the, even what we found in is food banks have the parents come in. And so it has to be where you have to immerse the community on how vital this is and how important it is. And everybody has a touch in it. We can't cover everything today, but for people that want to learn more, because there's a whole bunch we're not talking about, how to build learning into playgrounds, how to build in the community. There's so much that we're doing, but the key though, it's like, it's like CPR. It's opening the airway. And if you don't, if you can get the, again, the child before they leave the hospital and the mom connected or the dad or the grandparents, and really understanding that. And then there's the handoff, because you, you talk about words. Sometimes moms or dads are working a variety of jobs. Grandma's watching the baby. There's a caregiver watching the baby. Um, we want to make sure everybody understands it's not just one parent or one person. It's everyone that's communicating with this child. 
we've even looked at child care centers and educating child care centers big time on how important it is to keep the baby engaged in the words. Um, we did actually a thing where you can put a device on a child and you can get a recording at the end of the day on how many words they heard and you can start tracking. You, a mom or dad can track as my baby hearing these birds because, excuse me, hear, hearing these words because sometimes we're all building brains. And to me, there's a sense of urgency when you only got three years and, and not to say you shouldn't do everything after that. But when you've got those first three years or 80, 85% of the brain capacity, of the brain is first three years. We don't want to lose it a, a day. So Carlton, for people that want to learn more about this, how can I get our community involved? How can I get our healthcare organization involved or a pediatrician or a clinic advanced practitioner? This is a whole community effort. How can they learn more? Well, I think, Quint, the best way is just reaching out to you or I, uh, either, you know, me, uh, my you, cell phone you, number. You. Let's go you right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, my cell phone number is 850-387-3846. Would love to hear about what they're currently doing uh, in their community and, and how we can help them specifically in the healthcare, uh, but also work with community leaders as a convener. And I know we're not talking about everything on this call, Quint, but we're seeing all different types from a hospital like Norman, Oklahoma, uh, where Norman Health's stepping up as a convener, to agencies like United Way of Acadiana and Lafayette, to State Line Founda Community Foundation in Rock County, Wisconsin. Uh, anyone can be a convener. And, and we have a lot of material. And one of the things I love about what we're doing, which is sometimes a little bit different than healthcare, you know, in healthcare, we, we keep our best practices close to our chest. Uh, and we use that as a differentiator. And what I'm finding with early brain development is that we've got a lot of people that are contributing to some best practices. And, you know, we're in dialogue right now, Quint, with Sarasota Memorial about a neonatal uh, rollout of early brain development. And what's the role of a cuddler? You know, a volunteer in the NICU is they're holding that baby and they're doing skin to skin because mom and dad may be working. What role can a cuddler play in early brain development uh, for that newborn? Uh, but we'd love to hear from communities uh, in how we can help them. Yeah, and, and we're really, I think, so far ahead of the curve, which is really neat. We've been a first mover in this from the very, very beginning. And I loved what you had to say. So for people sometimes wonder, well, how expensive this? My gosh, trust me, it's one of the least expensive things you'll ever put into your organization. Usually a CEO will say, or if you have anyone with the foundation there, they say, well, we can get money for this. It's just not that expensive. But then you have other, like the one in Kadiana, the United Way steps up. In Rock County, the State Line Community Foundation steps up. Um, we've seen private um, citizens, philanthropists just say, I'd love to support something like this. Um, we just have not ever found a community where dollars get in the way of this whatsoever, because one, they see it so vital. And I think even if it was real expensive, they'd want to do it. But the beauty is that it's not expensive. Um, the only expense it really is, is making sure you have the time, making sure you do the training. And then um, we love the fact that more and more organizations are joining with us in this journey, which, again, is that that user group that can talk and we're learning different things. So I think what we want to do with our build a brain, build a life, build a community is truly be the convener and making sure that we're creating an integrated 
system. So Carlton, give your phone number one more time. 850-387-3846. Thank you, Quint. Do want to email me, email me. And what I'll do though, is I'll triage you to Carlton and not that I don't care, (laughs) but I just know that since he's gotten engaged, he's far surpassed me in knowledge and how to implement this in, in your community. So Carlton, thank you for your commitment to making a difference in communities all across the country and building babies' brains. I uh, appreciate the time with you, Quint, and working with you and excited about our mission. Thank you for listening to the Healthcare Plus podcast. For more information about our upcoming events, visit healthcareplussg.com. <laughs>